Here we go, Monday night. It's time for Ira on Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo here as well. Going to be a great show as we wrapped up the NFL regular season, and it was one of the most fun final weeks of football I've ever seen. There's so much to talk about. We'll do it all tonight. Ira's with me, not in the studio. Good reason for that, though, Ira. What are you doing tonight? National Championship game, Alabama, Georgia, Indianapolis. I am so pumped and excited for this game. A few weeks ago, I was at Georgia, Alabama, the same teams in the SEC title game in, in Atlanta. Uh, saw the excitement, the atmosphere and everything, and I expect the same thing tonight. Uh, I'm pumped. You know how much I love college football. And so this is the final game. I've watched how many a million games this year. And the uh, only thing better would be Penn State to be playing in this game. But I think Penn State's years and years away from, from playing in one of these games now. But uh, I'm, I'm real excited for this uh, for the championship game tonight. Uh, I've been to – I was just counting. I, I've been, I was at Oklahoma. Penn State lost to Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl years ago. Penn State beat Miami in the Festival, Ohio State, Oregon, and Dallas. Florida State, Auburn in the Rose, Alabama beat Notre Dame in the Orange. In the last three years, two years, LSU beating Clemson, Sugar, and the Bama beating Ohio State in the Orange last year. So I love these games. Never been to Indianapolis for one. I was at the Big Ten Championship game when Penn State beat Wisconsin, but uh, I already got my ticket. I'm excited, and this is going to be awesome. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. I do want to hear about uh, the tickets and all that because that's always a lot of fun. And usually you don't even have tickets yet for these events. You fly by the seat of your pants, but you're ready to go tonight. Uh, John Condo is going to join us at 740. This was a really fun interview, and it's also um, relevant to you know the, the changing landscape we've seen over the past week in the NFL. You want to tell us a little bit about who John Condo is? Yeah, John Condo is a two-time All-Pro. Uh, he was a long snapper for the Oakland Raiders, played 15 years in the NFL, and, uh, and went to University of Maryland. But a two-time All-Pro, uh, pretty star, a, a very, very good. We brought him on because he's had some – he was able to talk to John Madden a lot. Madden still stayed in touch with the Raiders and many meetings with the Raiders. So he had some great interaction with John Madden. And sort of I wanted, since the passing of John Madden two weeks ago, I wanted to really do something and try to find someone that worked with the Raiders. Now, remember, it's hard to find a lot of those Raider players because John Madden was a young coach when he retired. I mean, he retired when he was 40 years old. He started coaching when he was 30, young, 30, 30. So it's difficult to find any current, you know, play, not current, but people that would talk to. But, but John came – a little after that, and uh, certainly had some experience with him. But as being a two-time All-Pro, 15-year NFL veteran, excited to have him on the show. We taped this interview last week. Yeah, and we'll catch up with him at like 7.40. Ira, you had a still a hectic week like you always do. You're in uh, India, uh, Indiana for the national championship, but you were in uh, Pittsburgh last week to see Big Ben's uh, final game. Yeah, final game at I home. Mean, I, flew up, I flew up on Monday for that game, and – I just, I, I got there so early. I, my voice sounds a little rash because I sat for six hours in 20 degree temperatures. And I mean, I'm on the beach two days before that, and suddenly it was so cold. But I didn't know Ben was going to come out like at six. The game was at 8.15. The gates opened a little earlier than they normally do. I think they were, somehow I got there. And, uh, and I, just, I just sat in there at the first row of the club, and I wanted to see if Ben would walk around, look around. And I just, did, you know, I wanted my camera all ready to go. He didn't come out. He, he actually supposedly he came to the stadium later than he normally comes, so I had no reason. I probably got to the stadium before he did, but uh, I just didn't want to go in and warm myself up because usually my strategy in these cold weather games is stay in the club, warm up, then go out for like an hour, wait until halftime, then warm up again. And this time I'm out the whole time, and uh, it was like one of those games where it was just a, cer- a celebration of his, of his greatness. Nobody every time he threw a bad pass, and there was a couple bad passes in that game that we didn't hear all these. You're boom, but no, everyone was like, oh, they should have caught it. No one. I think everyone is starting to sense the fact that, look, it's, it's, it was, I, as I said, I wrote a column about this on I Run Sports on Facebook, on I mean, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, but the, there was a 20, people think it went Terry Bradshaw, four Super Bowls, then Ben Rossenberger. There was 21 years in between. <laughs> so the point is, I don't want to go 21 years. I don't have another great quarterback. And uh, it was it was just every time he ran on the field, a celebration. But just the point of the warm-ups. I remember him walking around with the warm-ups. And I always liked when I was at the Super Bowls. And he would go around and, like, you know, and even the, every playoff game. I'm sure I'm going to see this where he talks to every single player before the game. But that was exciting, just throwing the ball around. I got some great pictures. And enjoying the game it was a good win for the Steelers it was it was I think when I, I have I took a great video that I love that I put up on my Instagram is when Najee Harris 
uh, at the end of the game, we had that 40-yard run for a touchdown. I know it destroyed people's fantasy, you know, the fact all those <laughs> things happened and that he did change so much. But just the, the – I thought it was neat because I remember when Ben was in his second year, the Steelers were playing the Colts and with Peyton Manning, and it looked like the Steelers had a chance to win this game. They were winning. They were they – were, they, they had the lead. We're going to get another touchdown. And but Jerome Bettis, who was a, a very experienced running back, a Hall of Famer, he fumbled the ball – and Colts were Nick Harper was running back for the touchdown, and Ben was the one who tackled him. So if Ben doesn't make that tackle, Jerome Steelers probably don't make the Super Bowl, don't make you know, don't advance, lose that game. And then Jerome Bettis is known. What was the last play you had? I fumbled the ball. So I heard them talk about that. And Jerome was like, always though Ben's best play was that tackle. It was his tackle, not his throw. And I thought it was interesting at the end of the game that Najee Harris, rookie running back from Alabama, on the final like play that Ben has, runs the ball in for 40 yards, almost like a passing of the torch of running backs and quarterbacks and just I was great and then he came on for the final kneel down at the end of the game and then the walk around I thought was great a lot of my friends said it was over the top but remember Ben is Pittsburgh like if you were from <laughs> New York and LA you don't have to watch it turn the TV off like this is for us like all the fans stayed there let him walk around he walked around half the stadium people thought I mean he's been the quarterback for 18 years I mean he can do whatever he wants I just everyone loved it I I was shocked how some of my friends that worked Pittsburgh, oh, they thought it was overblown. Well, don't watch it. You know, it's, this is for Pittsburgh people. Don't, you're not even by the Steelers. You know, you could watch, turn on the news, do something else. Well, it's interesting you say that. I mean, when, you know, Mariana Rivera, Derek Jeter, these icons retire, it's a spectacle for the whole league and it lasts an entire season. And they're doing presentations. Nobody really gets bothered by that. I mean, Wade Boggs rode around on a horse around the field. I don't think Big Ben going and shaking some hands is that big of an issue, I. Yeah, and I thought it was cool that he kept his helmet on when he walked around. I thought that, because you know, usually he warms up, he never wears his helmet in the warps. He has a knit cap on or a ball cap on. So it was, it was, I had some great pictures of him with just that helmet on with all the media around him. It was tough to get these pictures. I mean, I felt like it was you know, trying to get that good shot, and there's so many media people. And then when he just walked off into the tunnel, and as he's walking into the tunnel, his wife and his kids run, and then they, they hug him, and, and then he walks with him. And the video on the video board, it was great. It was amazing. I just thought, and I thought about when Antonio Brown, like I want to show, the, I guess, the comparison to some extent. Because someone made a comment, I was listening, is that years ago, Antonio Brown was much more loved than that. That then was known as being a hothead and not friendly and not whatever. And Tony Brown was the one that everyone loved and, and was like the greatest teammate and those things. And then I just find it, it's almost sad to say that at the end, you know, the, the lasting memory of Antonio Brown will be taking his shirt off, running into a tunnel all alone, all by himself, uh, just running up there, making a, a mockery of the game, of himself, everything. And then the Ben picture is him walking with all the media and his family and the, and the fans in a full stadium. It's just the whole tunnel walk at the end. I just thought, because that's what Antonio Brown could have had. That's how he could have left the game like that. And instead, it's, it's, you know, he ran out the way he did and will never play again. Is Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, Mike Balsamo here. John Kondo, uh, two-time Pro Bowler, uh, long snapper, will join us at 740. Don't forget to follow Ira's escapades at Ira on Sports across social media. Let's talk about um, the big game on Saturday, Ira. It was Kansas City and Denver. Um, I don't know if Denver winning this game would have saved Vic, Fan Vic Fangio's job. I doubt it. Vic Fangio was fired yesterday before uh, Black Monday. But let's talk about this game, Casey and Denver, because Casey needed to win this one to uh, cling to what could be a potentially number one seed, but definitely hold the two. I thought it was great yesterday how teams that were out of the playoff picture, playing teams that are in the playoff picture, played hard. Now, certainly Jacksonville was the poster child for that entire thing. But the fact that Denver and Drew Locke, you know, they did not want to give this game to Kansas City. Kansas City has won 13 in a row against Denver now after winning this game. But um, I just felt like with 437 left, I mean, my phone's a Harvard from 44 yards, game over, they threw it to Kelsey. I mean, it was like it was, it was, a, it was a game that, that, that Denver was – I thought had this, you know, was in this game. Um, and uh, if it wasn't that, you know, they were, they were up 21-20 with 7.42 left. And Melvin Gordon fumbles the ball. Ingram crashes into him, uh, knocks the ball loose. And Nick Bolton has an 84-yard touchdown return. They get two. I mean, that changed the game. If they score there, maybe, you know, that the game that Denver ends up winning that game. But Kansas City, by doing that, 
preserve the two seed and that and they set themselves up if Tennessee lost to Houston the next day they'd be the number one seed but that was a big win and I think the two seeds are important because at least that gives you the way the playoff format is it gives you two home games in a row if you win the first one you get the second one and I think that's big for Tampa because Tampa moved up from the third seed or fourth seed to the two seed yesterday and that was key because now they get two home games and worst case scenario the championship game would be at Green Bay so Kansas City winning the game now the bad thing for Kansas City is that Tyreek Hill had only one catch for two yards looked like he hurt his foot before the game he said hurt his heel he didn't play well Kelsey just didn't look the same had only four catches for 34 yards so as much as this is a great win for Kansas City injuries Clyde Edwards Lair's not there look the Steelers play Kansas City next week I'm going to be there. I don't care if the line is 15, 16, 20. <laughs> Steelers, Steelers are winning this game. I'm telling you, the Steelers are winning this game. The Steelers, Steelers Belich, Tomlin lose to Belichick. Belichick could start a high school team, and I think the Steelers would still lose them. But I think Tomlin against Andy Reid, we've never, the, the, the one Super the game playoff game I was there, 18 16, when the Steelers kicked six field goals. Kansas City was by far the best team. Andy Reid totally messed the entire game up. I, I'm very confident the Steelers will go in there and win this game. But uh, I just thought from the Tyreek Hill injury, the Kelsey injury, Clyde Edwards-Lair not being there, um, but, and the defense giving up points to Denver, uh, that was a big thing. So let's go to what was the really big domino of the afternoon, Ira, and you had alluded to it before, Jacksonville and Indy. Indy had to win this game to lock up a playoff spot. Nobody thought that the Indianapolis Colts were going to lose to Jacksonville, but if they did, it would open up a massive domino effect in the AFC. Everyone was excited for that to happen, and what do you know? Jacksonville played fantastic and shut down the Colts completely, 26-11. to 11. It's just, and it could have been 100-11. to 11. Indianapolis, everyone, the entire team, I mean, it was... I'm watching that game as a Steeler game at the same time on my, and the screen. And Trevor Lawrence looked like Trevor Lawrence from freshman year at Clemson. It was the start of the game, 11 for 11. I mean, at one point in the game, when it was, it was Jacksonville Field Goal, they had was 13 to 3. And then and you're just waiting for the Colts to get going, like start doing something. They just never did. They, it was almost on to like Big Brown when I saw Big Brown run in the Kentucky Derby and they finished last uh, in Belmont and uh, finished in last place. It's, it's like you're waiting for Indianapolis to, to do something. I mean, this is a game. Six, 15 and a half, 16-point underdogs. People who were coming to the game dressed as clowns. The sponsor of the game didn't, was suing the Jacksonville because he didn't want to sponsor a game because it was too embarrassing. The week before, Jack, New England beat Jacksonville 15 to 10 and New, all New England did the second half was just hand the ball up the middle. I mean, it was just... Carson Wentz was terrible. Their defense for Indianapolis was terrible. Everything. For a team that everyone thought, oh, Indianapolis, you don't want to face them in the playoffs. They finished 9-8. and eight. And all, all they have to do is beat Jacksonville, and they're in the playoffs. Now, they, remember, they lost the Raiders the week before. But uh, this was a, a just terrible performance by Carson Wentz, terrible performance by them. They only had 200 yards. The Jacksonville defense has been known to say, whatever, how many yards do you want to have? What, five, 600? Take it. <laughs> the two, the, 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 Indianapolis got 200 yards the entire game. Uh, just ever. I mean, Frank Wright should be fired. I mean, again, we're talking about coaches being fired. To lose a game when you're a 16-point favorite against a team like Jacksonville who didn't care about playing, didn't care, didn't want to be there, uh, just and when you when you for that you went to go to the playoffs. Terrible. One of the worst losses I've ever seen in the history of the NFL. And with everything on them was just win and you're in. That's all they had to do, and they lost. And did just lose. Got destroyed. And I'm with you, Ira. Where is the condemnation of Frank Reich right now? You know, we're firing. You know, we'll talk later. You know, um, Brian Flores, the Dolphins coach, got fired with subpar athletes after an eight-game winning streak beat um, their division rival. Uh, in the last game of the season, Frank Reich has seven pro bowlers, more than any team in the league, and you don't make the playoffs, and you lose to Jacksonville in this fashion to not make the playoffs, it's embarrassing, and I would be really looking for a replacement right now if I was in their front office. I mean, look, today all we're talking about is Brandon Staley because he called a timeout. Yeah. Maybe he shouldn't have called a timeout. But what about having your team completely unprepared to play a team that did not even want to be there? Didn't even want I, – I just – Again, we're talking about the Colts' offensive line. They didn't even show up. They, they were great. Jonathan Taylor, I, I just, again, everything. The, the wide receivers dropping passes. This looked like an exhibition game. And I think the Colts for a team, there are people who had the Colts going to the Super Bowl yeah. this year. And these people go, they started out 1-5. They won a lot of games at the end. But that was, this is, in my lifetime, I cannot remember a team that I've seen teams blow playoff chances. You, you can criticize the Chargers for what happened. But 
be a 16-point favorite against a team that Jacksonville is just, they're waiting to leave. They're done. They didn't even play half their team anyway for COVID and for other reasons. And to just not even show up in a game like that, that's the coach's fault. That is just, that's entirely on Frank Wright's part. He did not have his team ready to play in embarrassment. So let's start the domino effect. So they had to be on the, you know, going into this game. Pittsburgh knows that they need Indy to lose here. And what do you know? They find themselves in that position, and they've got their division division rival Baltimore to beat standing in their way. This made it exciting. Oh, and it was like the Steelers, it was pouring down rain in the game. 3-3 at the end of the first half. Nobody was doing it. There's no Lamar Jackson, so Tyler Huntley was the quarterback for the Ravens. But at the, at the beginning of the second half, Latavius Murray ran 46 yards for a touchdown. It had to be the slowest run. Latavius Murray is so slow, and it just was like slow. I'm like, is this real motion or slow motion? Because he just ran for a touchdown, and then the Steelers kicked a field goal, made a 10-6. At the end of the third quarter, this was the key of the game. The Steelers, Huntley drove down. Baltimore was up 10-6. Huntley drives down to the 11-yard line. And all, I mean, the Steelers were just, they just run the ball. Like, this is what I call, criticize John Harbaugh. Just run the ball. He throws an interception. Like, what were you doing throwing the ball? Just keep running it down. The Steelers would give up a touchdown there. And then Ben was able to throw to Claypool, make it 13-10 with three minutes to go. And, uh, and then uh, the Ravens ended up kicking a field goal to tie to send it into overtime. And uh, in, in overtime, the key was the Ravens punted and the Steelers, Ben, Three passes that were great. Third and seven on the 31, Ben to Fryermuth. Third and six on the Baltimore 41, Ben to DJ, uh, DeAndre Johnson. And then on fourth and eight, uh, fourth and eight, they had to go for it. Otherwise, this would have been a tie. You're worried about all the ties. This probably would have been a tie. <laughs> but Ben to Ray Ray McLeod, uh, just a great pass. Uh, and then Chris Boswell comes in and kicks the field goal, makes it 16-13. But Ben was 30 for 44 in terrible weather conditions, 243 yards, one touchdown, one interception. And look, the Steelers' defense has problems. The Baltimore ran the ball for 250 yards. That's what I'm saying. They ran for 250. What were they doing throwing it at the end of the game? And Huntley had two bad interceptions. But the point is, the Kansas City Chiefs don't run the ball. So I'm not afraid of the Chiefs. They pass the ball. So I'm not afraid of the Chiefs at all for the Steelers. And, uh, but it was uh, amazing. But even after the Steelers win, then you know everyone said, okay, they're in because the Jacksonville had beat the Colts. And then the whole rumor was about the tie between, <laughs> between the Chargers <laughs> and the Raiders, which I totally dismissed because there's been one tie in 240-some games this year. The Steelers had one of the ties. But it was, we'll get to that game. Um, well, yeah, before that, let's talk about the uh, now number one overall seed in the AFC, the Tennessee Titans. And, you know, we talked about with the Colts and Jaguars. It's a game that you're supposed to win and you, you know, you need you to get in the playoffs. This is a game you're supposed to win. It's against Houston. And this is very important. To not only, you know, get the bye, but to host every playoff game, which they're going to need in Tennessee. I thought this was going to be a trap game. I, I really thought that Houston was going to come to play. The score makes it look a little bit closer, Ira, than it was. Tennessee had them in check, and um, you know Houston came battled back at the end a little bit. But still, I'd be a little bit worried in this one. They're getting Der- Derrick Henry back. Davis Mills looked pretty good. I think Houston can be confident going forward. Him maybe next year, a quarterback, not hitting the panic button. But uh, Tennessee did what they had to do, and the road to the AFC championship game goes through Nissan Field. Yeah, and I think the key is that Derrick Henry, their star running back, it gives them another week to get ready. I mean, the fact that he had that foot injury, we don't really know exactly what the problem with the foot was, but they're saying he's healthy to practice. He's able to hold him out of this game. He gets a week off, and then he'll get to play and carry the ball 30 times for 270 yards or whatever, something like that. So this was a big thing. Now, remember, if the Steelers lie to upset the Chiefs, the Steelers will play Tennessee. And the Steelers already beat Tennessee this year So, but uh, at Tennessee. But the point is, yeah, the Tennessee – Shock. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, we're talking about the Dolphins trying to find quarterback. Here's Ryan Tannehill leading the team without their star running back to the number one seed in the AFC. He's been to two AFC championship games and now has the number one seed after leaving uh, Miami. Let's talk about the Jets and Buffalo, Ira. Buffalo, they've struggled with bad teams a few times this season. Definitely did not struggle with the Jets, put them away, and they're going to hold the three seed. Yeah, that was key, you know, in terms of getting the three seed. But winning the division, too, if the Patriots had won the game which against Miami, then they could have taken that. They could have been – they could have flip-flopped from them getting the home game. So they did get, they did get a home game uh, doing what they had to do. And, and Josh Allen, now the second straight division title. Remember, this was the division title that the Patriots seemed to win for, like, the last 100 years. So now the fact that Buffalo's been able to put two division titles back-to-back was key for them. And that then bumped Cincinnati to the four seed. So they're four, the four teams that won the division – get to host home games 
for the first day, for the first uh, time. So let's talk about uh, New England and uh, the Dolphins. We talked about it earlier. Brian Flores would lose his job after this. Chris Greer is the general manager, and outside of Jalen Waddle, Ira, he has not hit on a first, second, third round draft pick in half a decade. And it's Brian Flores' fault that this team uh, didn't didn't get to the playoffs. Just ridiculous. But my lock of the week, I told everybody, bet the, the Dolphins plus six that they're in their own house going against the rookie quarterback. They do still play defense, and the Finns look good. Well, I mean, Miami, 17 nothing. Xavier Howard had a pick six, another field goal. Uh, Tua didn't have to do much. He was 15 for 22. I mean, his, he only threw for 100 yards, but his completion percentages are every day. It seems like it's 80-some percent. Duke Johnson. Uh, ran well for 117 yards. But this was like, again, the Patriots, the, the, if they get behind, they can't come back. I mean, that's one of the, the big problems they've had all year. They, they get the lead, they coast, and if they're trying to fight uphill, they're not able to do it. I, look, I'm driving here to Indianapolis. I, when I heard Flores got fired, I was like, what? I, did, I, I heard it, and I thought they were talking like, oh, he did it. I can't believe they fired him. I felt this team, you know, at, starting the start they had, they won seven games in a row. They finished 9-8. and eight. I was, His record is 5-11, 10-6, and 9-8. and eight. Shocked by this firing. Uh, again, I just... I don't know what Miami, Miami better get this next hire right. I mean, some people think it's going to be Harbaugh, but, and, you know, again, there would be some time. They would Stephen Ross but came out today. Like, Stephen Ross said they're not interested in Harbaugh. So where, what, is, what is the goal here? I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> no, I don't get it either. I think it's just, I, I, I just feel like, you know, after 10 and 6 last year, 9 and 8 this year, and uh, I just don't see what's got. I just don't see it. I didn't he, see he it. Lost, shocked. He lost to in on the first uh, series of a game, so then he gets you know a, a backup Jacoby Brissett into a game you know that he wasn't anticipating. Then Brissett starts the next two games and has to play portions. Like this was a broken season with a bad roster, and he just missed the playoffs. And that like, it, I won't talk anymore. The Dolphins are a disaster, and, and this is why they are where they are. And I like I don't I want them to be good because we live here, but at this point, it's like I have no hope for them. Right. Three years from now, we'll be talking about the Dolphins firing the next coach. So. Yeah. And, and Tua will be a pro bowler on another team. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, let's get into what wrapped up a fantastic weekend, Ira. The Raiders and the Chargers. This game was everything you could have hoped for for a final game of the season. And as you said, there was a lot of implications on this. There were some people saying they could tie on purpose because if they did, they would have both made the playoffs and Pittsburgh would have been out. Well, that's high on purpose was the dumbest thing that people have talked about. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Have both, well, both coaches, Staley uh, and Rigor, would have been uh, the, uh, the Raider coach would have been totally suspended. So if, it was, if, they make, if you make a mockery of the game, it would never happen. And, and I don't think they would ever. But the, the issue is that in overtime, what it looked like, remember, there are ties could become possible now. When they went from 15 minutes overtimes to 10 minute overtimes, so remember the playoffs, they don't have ties because you just play every quarter and you keep playing. But in the 15 minutes to 10 minute overtime, that's why you've had like, well, at least like one tie of the year for the last couple of years. But it's not still, I said, 240-some games one time. But at 29-14, with, uh, as Brandon Stanley goes, you know, fourth down every – he went from fourth and one on his own 17-yard line. Yeah. And then it's the score – then the score is 29-14 with eight minutes to go. And then the Raiders have – the Chargers have a 14-play, 75-yard drive. They converted on a fourth and six and a fourth and 21. The Raiders go three and out. And then they have – how about this? I was looking at the stats. The drive looked crazy. 19-play, 83-yard drive in two minutes. They ran 19 plays in two minutes. That's impossible. That's they impossible. Converted, <laughs> converted three fourth and ten, and then they scored a touchdown at the end of the end of it to send it into overtime. Uh, and that's where the Raiders set a field goal, the Chargers set a field goal, and then the whole end of the game. Whether I don't know, like I ought to see this again. I I, I see when 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 Brandon Staley called the timeout. Did, now I hear what the Raiders have been saying and Carr was saying that maybe they would have kneeled down and just played for the tie because both teams, under a tie, both teams made it and the Steelers would have been out. But because the Raiders kicked the field goal, then they, they were afraid to go. But I, I don't know why the Chargers gave up. Uh, Jacobs ran seven yards and then he ran and then, and, then, and then he ran another 11 yards. And that puts them in a better field position in order to go. You know, if, if he didn't have that long run, then there would have been a situation. I still think it would have been like a 59-yard field goal. Then it would be like a 49-yard field goal. And uh, but uh, and Carlson, I mean, Carlson's 33 for 33 in the stadium. I think he could have kicked a 60-yard field goal. With all, I mean, that stadium was on fire. I mean, he probably would have been able to kick that much. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think Stanley's getting, right now, I blame Frank Reich more than I blame Brandon Stanley. <laughs> no, absolutely. And another thing, you know, talking about the whole tie-on-purpose thing, 
If Vegas had tied, they play Kansas City in the first round. You think they want to play Kansas City? No, they want to win the game. That's why it was ridiculous hearing about that. Um, speaking of, Ira, how's the playoffs pan out? Well, it's three games now. Raiders at Bengals. Bengals are favorite. First of all, I want to say what about the playoffs this year. I think anything could happen. I yes. really don't think we're in a year where, like, if the Raiders made a Super Bowl. Nobody, even Green Bay. Bowl, even Green Bay, yeah. I'm not confident that, that they're just going to roll everyone. This is the most right. wide-open playoffs we've seen in a decade. I think you have as a, you have uh, 14 teams, and I think any one 14 can win. I wouldn't be surprised by the Eagles. The Eagles would be the one I would think of, but I can see I could I could write the I could write the narrative that the Eagles just start running the ball and their offensive lines is pushing people around. But the Raiders at the Bengals, Bengals are favored by six and a half. Um, where is that going to go? I don't know. The Bengals under this pressure can is Joe Burrow going to pull this great performance and their offense is going to go? Or is the Bengals because the Bengals this year have lost a lot of games where they just like who are they? Who are the Bengals? Like again, these teams that are favored like the Bills. We've seen the Bills play so many bad games. They're favored by four over the Patriots. But didn't we just see a month ago the Patriots go into Buffalo and run the ball every single possession and win the game? <laughs> so the point is, you know, and the Chiefs favored by 13. I mean, the Chiefs this year beat the Steelers 36-10. to 10. But I was, as I said, at the game when they, the Steelers won 18-16. Uh, the next year they won 19-13. Before that, Tomlin went there. I mean, he knows Andy Reid. Like, he, I'm telling you, he, he, like, they talk about owns, like, Aaron Rodgers with owns. I think Mike Tomlin owns Andy Reid. And I, I think that, uh, I really believe that the Steelers are, I, I'm confident. I don't care about the line, 13, 14, 15, doesn't matter. Ben's not going to – this is a game where I feel like if the Chargers are under pressure, they're going to start making mistakes. Mahomes is going to start doing too much, and the Steelers are going to play with this fire. And Ben is the perfect quarterback. I mean, you have a guy that's won two Super Bowls, been played for 18 years. He's won in Kansas City year after year after year after year. So I think that uh, I'm ready for that game. Can't wait. I'll be there. Can't wait. That line should be like six to seven points. 13 points in a playoff game, especially with a team that's very up and down, wishy-washy. I don't buy it. I think this game's a lot closer. And than Tyreek that. Hill, everybody who has, everyone says Tyreek Hill's the best wide receiver in the league. Anyone have him on their fantasy team? What's he done the last three, four weeks? Nothing. The last He's seven, eight weeks. at all. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Him, and, him and Kelsey are shells of their former self. So, and where's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Where's he? He hasn't played. Either. He's a ghost. They can't, they're, they're almost projecting Kansas City as a team that as a different team. And also, everyone says their defense is so improved. But then I've seen games where their defense is not terrible. Did you ever watch the Cincinnati game? Cincinnati scored every time they touched yeah. the ball. At the end, they scored five touchdowns in a row. Don't tell me how great the Kansas City defense is. I'm with you on this one, Ira. I'm excited. You're you're fired up for this. This is going to be good. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Uh, just about 11 or 12 minutes, we'll get to John Kondo, former uh, former Pro Bowler for the uh, for the Oakland Raiders. A lot to talk about with him. Let's go over to the NFC side, Ira. Green Bay didn't really have to do anything. Aaron Rodgers came in and put on a spectacle anyway for the limited amount of time he was in the game. And they're the number one seed. So that's what, so Green Bay's the number one, and the pressure's going to be on Aaron Rodgers again. They were, they've been, again, I say this time and time again, Aaron Rodgers is, had home, had home field advantage. Not only has he lost some playoffs, he's been the favorite and lost games. So if there's ever a year that he has really the chance to go and win two games during the Super Bowl, let's see what happens this year. Let's just see, let's see, Aaron, put it up, put it up, let's see if you can win the Super Bowl. There was a lot of things that could have shifted after that. Um, we knew, we knew where Green Bay was going to be, but that between, the Rams, the Cowboys, the Bucks, a lot of stuff could have happened. Dallas had to go out and get a win. They did. They crushed Philly. Not looking good for Philly limping into this playoff. No, I, I think Philly, though, they didn't play any of their players. The Cowboys looked good. I think it was one of those things where Elliott ran for 87 yards. Cedric Wilson, Amari Cooper, see, caught balls. Dak had four touchdowns in the first half. The Philadelphia just totally didn't care about the game. I mean, they finished 9-8. They I mean, Jalen Hurts didn't even play. So they totally rested. They used this as their bye week. But Dallas just used it to score. And, and there was a point where I was like, why is Dak still in this game? But uh, now this sets up Dallas, though, in terms of getting, you know, Dallas will be playing San Francisco in the first round of the playoffs. So going into the Tampa Bay and Carolina game, you're looking at it like, man, Tampa's pretty beat up. You know, they've got a lot of injuries. You thought that they would maybe rest guys, but instead I think Brady wanted to use this as a tune-up. I mean, he he went out there, he played you know, his his butt off in a game that he probably didn't have to. They win convincingly forty one to seventeen over Carolina. I thought the game was huge. Three hundred and twenty six yards, three touchdowns for him. He top five thousand yards the second time in his career. 43 touchdowns. They really didn't get the running game, but they're getting Fournette back for the playoffs. But I think all the stuff that Antonio Brown says about Rob Gronkowski, about the bonuses and this, I think that motive, Gronkowski's now been, had two straight games where he's had like 140 yards receiving. 
So, I mean, it, it, this, is, this is Gronk of like circa 10 years ago. And then you had passes to Evans played, Perriman played, uh, and Lavian Bell. Out of nowhere, catches the touchdown pass. But, um, but they're going to get everybody back, hopefully, except for Chris Godwin for the playoffs. But this moved them up to number two. So now Tampa will play Philadelphia for the first round. And then if Dallas wins against whoever wins, that they probably, if Dallas wins their first game against San Francisco, then they play Dallas, a rematch of the first game of the season, Tampa Bay and Dallas for two home games. This was key for Tampa to get two home games and then at worst case scenario go to debt, go to Green Bay and do what they did last year, beat the Packers. Seattle and Arizona. Arizona is such a tough team to just to you know pick week week in and week out what they're gonna do after starting off eight 0 Seattle's been terrible and they and they won this game. There's a lot of talk of Russell Wilson, you know, demanding a trade here in the offseason. I would not blame him at all if he did, but maybe a win like this is enough to maybe keep him in the north in the uh, northwest. I don't know, Ira. But regardless, uh, Seattle won this game. That I took away from this Arizona. I, I I'm not I'm not sold on them at all. Kyler Murray had five sacks. Their offensive line's a mess. I think this team is totally dysfunctional. And uh, I, I really think they're in a situation where the Rams, I think the Rams got lucky. I think the Rams fell the fort. Lucky to the fact that the Rams will beat Arizona. I, of all the teams, but look, Arizona, again, I just they're just a weird team. They, they look so good those first eight weeks. And then it's just been this what happened last year too. Uh, but I really don't think that, I think the Cardinals look, I think Kyler Murray, it's just a mess. I think they again they were just they were discombobulated in offense. The defense can't stop anything. But we'll see what happens in the playoffs. They certainly are capable of making the Super Bowl if they got everything going. But right now, I'm not sold. They're one of the teams that probably have the least amount of confidence in, in the playoffs. Let's talk about uh, New Orleans beating Atlanta thirty to twenty. Well, that just set it up. I mean, New Orleans said, "Okay, San Francisco, if you lose and don't beat the Rams, we're in." And uh, so New Orleans finished nine and eight, but then San Francisco then played the Rams. So it was really that was putting the pressure on the Rams to on the on the 49ers to play a win or winner in games. So that's what happened. Yeah, and this was the next one up, and this was Ira super exciting as well. I mean, I'm glued to my TV watching this, and we got an overtime thriller out of it. San Francisco got the win, controlled their own destiny. I love that stuff. Well, it was, and they're down 17 nothing. So that was the point. The Sivers was down in this game. Debo Samuel, touchdowns. Jimmy Garoppolo, out of nowhere, starts making a great pass, such a great pass, except for that Jalen Ramsey interception in the end zone. I mean, Jimmy G, you had two quarterbacks between Stafford and Jimmy G. They both threw two interceptions. Stafford threw two and, and Jimmy G. I mean, and, they, and Jimmy G had three sacks. Stafford had five sacks. So they're very similar quarterbacks. And, and the mistakes after mistakes the team's made, and Stafford just made a little bit more, and the 49ers did enough to win but it was uh, it's like one of those games where you're like the Rams I don't know like you don't know you don't know if Stafford's going to be cruising along at 17 nothing and then throw pick sixes and that's going to cost them and then the Rams a bad loss for the Rams because now they have a home game the first game but then they have to go on the road to Green Bay the second week if they win so that's going to that's going to make it difficult so it's interesting you talk about Debo Samuel looking back now on that draft he went four picks after in Keel Harry that went to uh, New England he had 1,100 yards this year, and Enkiel Harry had 184. So <laughs> the long the long history of the New England not being able to draft skill players continued through there. Um, talk about the playoffs. See where we're at. Well, Eagles are at Tampa. Tampa's favorite by nine. I like that. I think Tampa. I think Tampa's rolling. They're going to get people back. Brady's not going to let them lose the Eagles. But you never know. You never know in this. And the Eagles are a strange team. And, they, and they, again, they, they like to run the ball. They, they led the league in rushing. Um, 49ers, the Cowboys. I like how the Cowboys are playing. 49ers are dangerous. I th- I'm looking for the Cowboys to win that game. And cards at Rams. I like. I like the favorites in all these games. But. I can see where the I can see what the Cardinals can do to beat the Rams. The Rams are favored by four, and then if that happens, then the following week you're going to have Marky. The Rams are at Green Bay and Dallas at Tampa, so that's going to be super awesome. But uh, I'm like as I said before, any one of these teams is the most parity because it's one thing we've seen these teams that are the underdogs beat the favorites, like the Steelers. Let, let's go back to the Steelers for one second. The Steelers beat the Titans. The Steelers beat the Bills. They yeah. beat these playoff teams that we think are so great. So the Steelers have won. Now, if they're a 13-point underdog, but the fact that they've won these teams, they have to have confidence. I don't think we have teams in the playoffs that are just, oh, I can't believe they're in. They have to have a good victory. If you're looking at a record-wise, the Cowboys are the team that beat nobody. They're the ones yeah. that haven't had any really good wins on their, their record, per se. So, Ira, we got about uh, two or three minutes till we have to get to the uh, – till we want to talk NCAA before we get to John Condo. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. Follow us at Ira on Sports. Let's talk about uh, – um, two firings that we didn't didn't touch on here, mainly because the teams are largely irrelevant. One of them being my New York Giants. Dave Gettleman, quote, retired after this season. 
It looks like they're going to stick with Joe Judge. Would you have stuck with Judge? I mean, you have to assume that the new GM is going to want to fire him in a year anyway and get his own coach in. What do you, what's your thoughts on the Giants situation? Oh, I, I think that, I think Judge should have been fired. I, I think the team is disarray. Watch them. They look. Therefore, they won four games, but they're terrible. I think Judge should have been fired. The team's a mess. You can't you can't use the the hard coach. You know, uh, you know, treating your players like like less than human approach when you don't win ever. You know, it works for Bill Belichick and people conform to his system. If Joe Judge is trying to form at New York, where they have the least winning percentage in the last seven years in the league, it's just not going to work, man. And, and Gettleman's drafted horribly. He deserved to go, but I, I he's a lame duck coach at this point. So it basically means to me, Ira, that the Giants are throwing another season away. Right, right, right. Let's talk about um, in uh, Chicago, Matt Nagy went and they did the right thing and fired the GM as well. I don't know. I mean, Nagy got Mitch Trubisky to the playoffs twice. That's saying something. And this is, a, you know, he's had two bad years from there. I don't know if it was enough. What do you think here in the uh, Bears scenario? I think the Bears, I think it was, people have been talking. When you're hearing the noise and noise and noise, you just got to get it done. He's coming back another year. He hadn't worked well with, with Justin Fields. I just think that it was hard. Again, you just, the drumbeat is so loud. And maybe the drumbeat will be for Judge. Who knows? I mean, I, the point is that when you people talking about coaches, get, and it wasn't happening for Flores, but for Nagy, that's all people talked about. There's no way he could have stayed on. I, I wasn't a surprise at all. So uh, we got about uh, three minutes here till John Condo. Let's talk about the national championship game. You're in Indiana getting ready to go for this. And we had mentioned earlier, you have tickets ready. Normally you wait and, you know, it's kind of like, it's like a little bit of a stock market to you. You can see the values going up and down. But this one you locked in early. By three days before, I saw a ticket that I thought was great on the 45, 40-yard line, 16 rows up. And I was, like, way undervalued from the other tickets around there. And, like, the question is where this game would go. And it's a lot cheaper than the other games. But in terms of overall, I mean, when that games in, in Super Bowl, New Orleans, stuff like that. But I felt like this is a great seat. I should make the move. And I, I did. And I'm happy. I, I'm someone who always buys a ticket and checks, 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 checks. And the market <laughs> has actually gone up. There's no tickets. I mean, where I'm sitting, there's really no tickets available. Um, it's, it, but it was like one of those things where I felt like, boy, when you see a ticket that's a perfect seat, go for it, really. So let's talk about the game. Just give us a little preview here. we got about a minute. Well, I, I do like in terms of – Georgia has beat Alabama. Alabama's beat Georgia seven times in a row. They beat them for the SEC title three times. They beat them in the national championship game once. They beat them in Athens. They beat them in Tuscaloosa. Uh, that's the thing. The, the advantage that Alabama has is Bryce Young, the quarterback, over Stetson Bennett. The advantage they have is Nick Saban over Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart has been, was an assistant for Nick Saban at LSU, for the Dolphins, and from 2007 to 15 was the defensive coordinator of Saban. But, and he's the high, was the highest paid assistant, and he's been phenomenal. But he has can do nothing but beat Saban. He hasn't been able to do it. And this is a guy that has been either two, eight, four, seven in the polls, and this year it was either one or two. I just think the advantage, the defense, I and mean, if you're looking at the games, the, the, look at Trayvon Walker for, for Georgia, Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, uh, uh, Nicobe Dean, 17 is amazing. I mean, this team is loaded on defense. Um, and without John Nietzsche, who had 94 catches this year, was the number one wide receiver for Alabama. It was Jamison Williams, who was, who was number two. I, you know, you're looking at it and saying, there's no way. Georgia looks like they're focused. They're not going to be beat twice. Um, and I, but I remember this one thing. Utah was able to beat Oregon twice this year. And if you were, when Oregon came back, you're like, oh, they'll never beat them again. And they, they killed them both times. I, 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 I said Georgia was going to win this game. Now I'm sold on Bryce Young being better than Seth Bennett and Kirby Smart panicked in that SEC championship game. The game was he was leading, lost the lead, and then just started to go on fourth down. You know all the stuff that he went instead of kicking field goals and playing the tough game, he panicked. I like Saban over Smart, and I like Bryce Young over Seth Bennett at quarterback and, and coach. I think that's going to be enough to win the game for Alabama. Zyron Sports 95.9 106.9. We're honored to have. Uh, former NFL All-Pro from the Oakland Raiders, John Condo, on the show. John, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports and talking a little bit about John Madden. Uh, I know you didn't play with John Madden, but you served within the Raider organization for over a decade. You have a lot of experience and hear a lot about him, and you met him a, a number of times. Yeah, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, Ira. Uh, it's a pleasure, and uh, always good to, to talk to, to anyone uh, about my uh, about my history, my sports history, really anything in general, but... Uh, Yes, yeah, so uh, my my career with the with the Oakland Raiders began in 2006, and 
you know, the first thing you think of of the Raiders is, you know, the the old school team, especially growing up in Pennsylvania, you think of about the, the rivalry they had with the with the Steelers in the seventies, um on the you know, in the AFC championship games and the playoffs, uh, you know, even the Immaculate Reception, all those games that you, you see. Uh that's my first thought of the Raiders and you think of one the only John Madden. And uh, so when I first got out to the Raiders, it was, you know, definitely, you know, something, a different culture than what I was used to in terms of uh, being in California or growing up in Pennsylvania, moving out to California. Uh, but being a part of such a, a storied uh, franchise, it was, it was awesome because there were old players that would, come, you know, repeatedly come back and you get to interact with them. Uh, from Kenny Stabler, Fred. I mean, at the time when I first got out there, Fred, like Fred Blitnikoff was a coach, Art Shell was a coach, uh, Jackie Slater was a, a Pro Bowler, he was a coach, Willie Brown, Hall of Famer, he was a coach. There, there was, I think, I'm blanking on another coach, but there was five Hall of Fame coaches on our staff that year when I first got out. <laughs> That's of amazing. So, and and then and also all the other greats that come around, Jerry Rice came around, you know, Timmy Brown. You know, uh, Rich Gannon. Those are more your uh, your more of your recent guys, but but the seventy the guys who played in the sixties and seventies. Oh, Jim Otto, one of my favorite all time Raiders, uh, the last guy to to wear the the, the big double zero. Um, got to meet him several times and have a good good really good relationship with him. But uh, I was always look, on the lookout for for John Madden. He never really came around to the facility that much. He he, he he did occasionally and got to see him pass him by. But the one, the first interaction that I had with him, it was at his uh, bocce ball tournament that he hosted every year with uh, Coach Mariucci. And I went out there and, uh, you know, they, the Raiders threw the team and played a little bit of bocce. And I was just like, I just want to meet Coach Madden. You know, that's all I want to do. I just want to meet Coach Madden. I just want to meet Coach Madden. And they put all the Raiders, there's about six or seven other guys that were out there, some of my teammates, and we're just kind of sitting in this room, and, and you know, next thing you know, he just comes out of nowhere, and uh, it seems like he just went right to me, and he started talking <laughs> to me, and I I was like, my jaw kind of dropped to the ground, because I was like, does he know who I am? Does he think I'm a coach? Like, And uh, he just started talking to me, and he, and he basically – said yeah i know who you are like john condo you know the best long snapper in the league you know like oakland raider long snapper been here for you know a couple of years like and uh i just couldn't believe it he knew so much about me that i don't i like it's crazy because you know you just don't expect a, a hall of fame uh type of person who's done so many things for for the nfl and and for uh and for the area that he was living in with the foundation work that he was, he was doing, uh, that him to, to know a small town guy from Pennsylvania. And, uh, he was really interested in me at that time because he, he was, uh, talking with, with the league, uh, during that time period about the new rules, uh, they were putting in to protect, uh, unprotected players on the field, i.e. like quarterbacks, long snappers, uh, defenseless, defenseless receivers uh, also avoid you know head trauma and and I think as a former lineman he was really intrigued by me because I was a long snapper and uh he just started talking to me about the new rules and he was like you're gonna really love these rules they're awesome they're, they're gonna prolong your career and he's asking me my thoughts he's like do you, do you feel it's beneficial to you guys he's actually like asking my advice and uh, it was just it was just a great experience, you know, to have that conversation with him. Uh, but more importantly, I think for me, uh, that he like knew who I was. I didn't, I didn't have to introduce myself to him, which is mind blown. Absolutely. Mind blown. Is the long, I don't play Madden NFL. Is there a long snapper position on uh, Madden NFL? Like you've been on that. <laughs> I've been on Madden. Uh, I don't think there's a particular long snapper position they they put guys that are on the roster and they usually fill the long snapper as like a, a backup tight end, defensive end. Uh, I know one year, I think I was like a an overall 43 defensive end or something like that. Uh, but, you know, it, it's fun because some of my, you know, friends, 
who would play the game, they would always move me, you know, to, you know, starting tight end or starting linebacker or whatever. <laughs> They'd always like make me score touchdowns and, and stuff. So it's, it's fun to see that. A little about your career. Um, you're as someone who was a two time NFL all pro. You played in the NFL for 15 years. Um, you started in at Phillipsburg, Osceola in, in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania, small town. But unlike a lot of athletes today, you were all state in football, baseball, and wrestler, and given college scholarships in all those sports. And then we see specialization in almost every sport now. And you were one of those that you know. School. I know how small Phillipsburg is. You have to really do everything there. And then you were an all state in all those sports. And how did that help and prepare you then for this NFL career, playing all the sports that you did? Yeah, I mean, if I were to offer any words of advice to any young athlete, is to be uh, multi-sport. Now, it's it's really tough because there is a lot of specialization, and coaches put pressure on kids to specialize. Um, and then, and you have a lot of people outside of you know junior high and high school programs that you know get you know see dollar signs in terms of you know having summer camps or or uh, club teams and all that kind of stuff to, to get kids who, you know, who promise them scholarships or, or college coaches that will be in tennis list or are. But uh, I, you know, if if you look every year, like this year, this year's NFL draft, I, I always see it every year. Um, so sometime in April after the draft, you're going to get us, you'll see like out of, you know, what is there, 240, 230 some odd picks in the NFL draft. There's usually a stat that comes out and it's, it's almost always 80 to 90 percent of the college or of the draft picks were multi-sport athletes in high school. Uh, and it's it's just mind blowing to see that. Now it's not like they they might not be playing like baseball or another really team sport, but a lot of it is track. A lot of it is basketball, uh, baseball. You know, foot, I mean wrestling. It's all those sports. I I would not recommend someone just specialize in one sport playing it year round uh, and see potentially burning out but what other sports do or what it does is it allows your body uh, uh, to, to develop other skills that you don't see within your sport for me I played baseball I was a catcher I caught since I was nine years old in, in little league and I loved it you know I was in every pitch you know I was you know calling out plays from behind the plate I was you know trying to getting the heads of, of the batters. I was making a good, you know, I was, I was trying to have a good relationship with the umpires so we, you know, we'd be favorable to our team and get, get good calls. Uh, and all of that right there just made me into the man who I am today and whenever I played in, in the NFL. It made me the leader who I was. I was just like, an, it just became a lot more natural to me to be a leader. And I think be, being a catcher, uh, now I don't, it probably developed other skills from me as well that helped me. But uh, just that alone, it just polished my leadership uh, skills. So it's not so much, you know, playing another sport can benefit your physical uh, uh, attributes to, to a, a sport, but it can also, you know, allow you to develop other skills that you just don't even think that you could, could uh, develop. And you went to the University of Maryland, and when you went there – you thought you were going to be a linebacker, and then somehow you became a long snapper, yeah, and yeah. that sort of propelled. So tell us about – first of all, explain what a long – there's some people when I say long snapper, there's a lot of listeners who maybe not know what a long snapper is, what the responsibility of a long snapper is, and also how in the world did you become a line, from a linebacker to long snapper? Yeah, so long snappers are basically the center on fourth down plays. So anytime there's a kick and play on a fourth down, so that's a punt, field goal, or an extra point, I am the guy who is centering the ball between my legs uh, to the holder or to the punter. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of glorified lineman. Uh, but since the, the new rules were implemented, what John, Coach Madden was talking about, it allowed me to not necessarily be as big of a, as a lineman, which I never really was, but allowed me to lose some weight because I wasn't really allowed to be getting hit. Um, but how I became a long snapper, I, I punted in high school. I did everything in high school, obviously. So, I was a linebacker, a fullback, uh, and, and a punter. I was, I was all conference in all three of those uh, positions. So I never even attempted a long snap. Now, both my brothers, they're older than me, they both snapped. And, uh, and I always watched them, but I never attempted to do it. So when I got to college, I, I was too small to play right away. So I redshirted, the one, to gain weight and to build strength or build muscle. 
so it was during my, the spring semester of my first year. Uh, the the launch snapper that we had on our roster, he fell out of school, <laughs> and, and and the other snapper who we had the previous season, he just graduated. So we were heading into the summer s- session without a long snapper on the, on the roster. So the coaches were kind of in a frantic and said, who can do it? Um, they basically had open tryouts for almost the whole team just to see who could do it. They said, Kondo, you're, you're, you're okay at it. You could get the ball back there in 15 yards. You need a lot of practice. You're no, you're no way, shape, or form a Division One snapper right now, but keep working on it over the summer. So I was like, I was super excited because – I knew this was my opportunity to play as a as a freshman, basically a redshirt freshman in Division One football in the ACC. So I worked all summer, and when training camp came along, or two days in the summer, uh, they first day they they gave me the ball for here to see how how you done, and I snapped it like you're best, you're a guy. So they threw me in there, and I became a snapper that way. And uh, it was probably around week four or five. Uh, you know, prior to that, I, I was loving it, but then week four or five came around and I just, I realized that I became a specialist. Now, now coming from a guy who played three sports in, in high school, uh, had scholar, you know, scholarships to, to, to play other sports and, and, you know, I could, could have went, you know, I could transfer anywhere, really football to walk on just to play. Uh, I was not used to being a specialist. I was sitting there over there hanging out with the kickers. And, and 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 I did not like the conversations I was having with these guys because I was like, these guys are nut jobs. They're, I, I'm not used to hanging around with these head cases. And, uh, and I wanted to transfer. And I remember talking to my father about it. And he reminded me about commitment. He just said, John, I'm not going to tell you what to do because you're a 19-year-old man right now and you can make up your own mind. But you signed a four-year commitment to the University of Maryland, and they signed it as well. He said, if it was me, I would honor that commitment. That's just who I am. I'm a loyal person, and if someone believes in me that I could do something, then I feel it's only right that I, you know, fulfill that commitment. So he kind of put me on the spot, and I I agreed with him. I said, you know what? You're right. I, I want to be that man. I want to be that loyal person. I want to be a man who's true to his word. So I, I stuck it out, and you know, I, I became a specialist, and my college coach by my by my junior year just said, "You can make a lot of money doing this. Just keep doing <laughs> what you're doing." And I always rolled my eyes at him, and uh, I guess he got the last laugh. So I, I had a long career in the NFL, made a lot of money, and uh, now I'm here. Well, so when you're so you're in college, and like, do people do the do the uh, pros come in and look at you? Like, how would they discover long? Like, I never heard of long snappers getting drafted per se. But how did they know about you? And did like scouts come from like the Steelers and the Cowboys to look to see how you're snapping? Is that to choose from? Yeah. So I I believe what they saw because I started as a freshman, my retro freshman year, and they saw that you know going in my senior year, I, I as a three year starter at snapper at snapping, we had a punter. Uh, he didn't get drafted after my sophomore year, after my second year of snapping, but he signed as an undrafted free agent. And then we had another uh, punter at the time. He was kind of getting looked at a little bit. But it also helped that we had, I had Sean Merriman on my team. I had Vernon Davis on my team. And I had like probably like six, seven other guys that were on the team that, you know, college or uh, NFL scouts were coming in every week, just about every practice to come observe. So while they're there, they're, they probably came out early to look at the specialists, you know, why not? Let's look at the specialists. And we had, we had a kicker at the time, Nick Novak. He had, I want to say, 10, 12 year, year career in the NFL. Um, he was kicking. So he, they came out and they look at me and uh, we were always out there 10 minutes prior to the team uh, getting out there for team stretch, just warming up. And uh, that's basically when they saw me. And that's when, you know, when I realized that it could be an opportunity uh, when I when coaches were just coming out just to watch me snap. And the first and, uh, the first place you went to was I think you said the Cowboys uh, yep, under Bill yep. Parcells. Yep, Bill Parcells uh, was my first coach, and I remember after they drafted me, he particularly said, "John, the reason why we got you in here is because you can make a difference on the coverage sheet." He's like, "You're not most like most of the snappers right now, you know, who are backup offensive linemen or or backup tight ends. Well, the tight ends, you know, have, have some athletic ability, obviously." But he's like, these returners are getting better and better 
and we need to be covering with nine, uh, ten guys, not a, not nine, you know. So, and and he's like, we loved your, you know, we saw your film. You're always one of the first down to be in coverage. Uh, we also know that you're a backup uh, defensive end or you know outside linebacker. So we love that about you, and that's this is the reason why you're here. So that's that's good. And then you finally got your big break. At the Raiders. I mean, we're, we're talking to John Condo, former two-time All-Pro uh, for the Oakland Raiders. And, uh, but you got your break, at, I guess, in 2006, and then you ended up being at the Raiders, I think, for 11 years there at the Raiders. Yeah, yeah. so I, uh, I, I, I you know, got released by the Cowboys, signed uh, for an offseason with the Patriots. Finally, I got another shot with the, with the Raiders, and it just worked out. I, I, I went up there and uh, had a great relationship with the punter and kicker, uh, Sebastian Janikowski and Shane Leckler, who, in my opinion, will both be Hall of Famers someday. Uh, you know, just had a great relationship with them, and, and they made me feel real comfortable with where I was at and what I was doing. And, and it alleviated a lot of stress, I guess you could say, you know, when it comes to snapping the ball and specialists and being perfect and, and whatnot. They made me feel good. Shane was just like, hey, I don't care where you put the ball. You know, I'll get it down or I'll punt it. So just get it back there to me. And, and like, just knowing that I had their confidence in myself, like just made a road of a difference for me as a young, younger guy. And it just propelled me to have a long career. That's, a, that's amazing. I know that in 2010, Jed Nikowski made 33 straight field goals. And I think Leckler led the league in putting at 40 with 47 yards. So that's pretty. And then you met, you yeah. made the Pro Bowl again in 2012. So for a yeah. good three, four year period, you considered the best long snapper in the NFL. Yeah, I, I would I would say so. Um, I mean, there's snappers are hard to um, to I want to say grade or uh, you know say who's the best and who's not because it's it's very for for the the average person looking at long snappers they wouldn't be able to tell you know a difference when you're looking based solely on the snaps and location all that stuff. Uh, so it's really hard to grade and, and uh, put put the snappers in into like you know one two three four to put them out there like our ranking system. But uh, I always pride myself on, you know, all the intangibles, things that you can't really uh, count on. And, and that's one, being a team leader, being a, being a locker room guy, being a team leader, uh, being, you know, running as fast as I can down the field, getting, getting in, you know, the returner's way. I might not get a tackle, but I'm going to make a difference. And, and I try to like, the way I look at it, I'm like, well, most of the times that I was with the Raiders, most years we, we were always in the top three or five in net net coverage, which is what you look for on a punt team. You don't look at the gross average of a kicker. You look at the net average because that's really what it matters because that's, you know, it's more a bigger average for the team. And, and in my years with the Raiders, we were always tops in the league uh, for net average, and I always took pride in that meaning that I, you know, made, you know, a bit of an impact with that net average. So that's that's something. And, just, and now you're working in real estate in, in Phoenix. So uh, what yes. are you doing? In, what do you do? Are you uh, in terms of what kind of real estate do you work in there? Yeah. So I, I, we moved to Phoenix in uh, 2020. Uh, my wife and I, and my family, and uh, she's a former Sun Devil. That's what led us back here. And I got into residential real estate, doing a little bit of commercial. But uh, it's 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 my first time working. It's my first job. I'm 40 years old, and <laughs> life, life is good. I, I can't complain. And it's it's learning new things every day, and that's what I want. I, I don't. Well, if, wanna... I, if our listeners want to want an agent out there looking for a house, I mean, oh, yeah. first Palm Beach now. What's your uh, email, or some how the people get in contact with you? Yeah, so my so my emails. Uh, I mean, it's, my email is john at thecarisgroup dot com. Uh, but you can follow me on Instagram. It's it's a lot easier. My my handle is john dot condo, and uh, it's just j o n no wait no h. Um, or you can find me on Twitter at John Condo, J O N C O N D O. Well, I really appreciate John for coming on and talking about at least uh, give us some influence, you know, with the contact you have with Madden. I mean, that was a great experience and being with the Raiders and all that was just so exciting and it's such a loss for the NFL. And, but I think what you mentioned that during the interview is that, you know, Madden was just so involved in the rules. I mean, everything from the, from the teaching on, on television and from coaching and from the video games, it's just his whole involvement in football and the growth of football. He's one of the most uh, pioneering forces in all of the NFL. I, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, you look at a guy. He he's with the NFL, you know, from from its. I don't want to say from its inception, but you know, almost from the beginning. And 
and almost to the day he, he passed, like he, he was, he lived, breathing, you know, did everything football. And I think everyone around him uh, valued his opinion. He wasn't some guy that the sport passed by. He was always involved with the sport, which made him very, very unique and, uh, and, and made his opinion very valuable. Well, I really appreciate you coming on I Run Sports, and uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Great stuff there from John Kondo here on Ira on Sports. Um, Ira, we've got some plans for this week. I know you're going to be going to see uh, Pittsburgh um, in Kansas City. What else are you? Uh, what else are you up to? Just nothing <laughs> more. The championship game today and Pittsburgh at Kansas City. So I'm pumped for these two big games. I, I got two great games this week. This is this is my favorite time of the year: college football national championship and uh, the NFL playoffs. When you're going to have six games next weekend, all great. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then you have four the next week, and then two. And forget about the Super Bowl because it's not. It's just over. Whatever game. I just love this time of year because I love the NFL. We are out of time. Thank you. <laughs> We're out of time. Thanks so much to John Condo. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.